You're listening to a special edition of What the Dev, the weekly podcast of SD Times. And now, here's Jacob Lukowitz, online and social media editor at SD Times. Hello, and you're listening to What the DevOps, our What the Dev coverage of the virtual DevOps Enterprise Summit. Joining me today is Adam Furtado, the Chief of Platform at Kessel Run, which is a U.S. Air Force digital transformation initiative, revolutionizing how the Air Force builds and delivers software. So hi, Adam, and welcome to the show today. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Great. Um, so how are you finding this, uh, this virtual format as compared to you know, doing presentations in, per- in person? Uh, pretty similar to how I've thought about work recently. I think I kind of missed the the human interaction a bit, but in general, it's been uh, pretty great to see the the breadth of, of speakers and, and stories. So it's been it's been pretty great. Great. Um, so to start off, can you tell me a bit about Kessel Run and the types of software it provides for the Air Force? Yeah, sure. Uh, so Kessel Run is a government um, and military software organization, which in and of itself is a bit unique. Um, traditionally, the the DoD has kind of outsourced a lot of its software work to various defense contractors and companies, um, and uh, we didn't do a lot of the kind of software development work ourselves at all until recently. So, um, Kessel Run is kind of a change in the way that we work. Um, so, we are about thirteen hundred strong. We have a, a kind of headquartered in, in Boston, Massachusetts. That we do have some remote folks as well. Um, and we build a, a variety of uh, web-based tools, uh, applications for airmen around the world to utilize, to do a variety of things from planning and executing and, and, and monitoring air warfare to um, inputting data as they maintain various aircraft um, to uh, internal development tools as well from a, the platform that we build and support services. Yeah, so I saw that in just over three years, the, the team jumped from, from about five to 1,300, which is a huge jump. Uh, so how did the scaling the initiative really you know, evolve how you guys work? Yeah, so I mean, uh, we were kind of victims of our own success in a lot of ways. So once we kind of got over the hump of being kind of having that early, those early wins um, and getting some momentum, then, you know, basically people wanted us to solve every problem. And, and I think it, it, it led us to... Um, growing super fast, um, uh, which was great and exciting, but also led to uh, challenges as well. So, I mean, we grew, I think in the first couple of years, we had, you know, over a dozen software products, um, some more successful than others, obviously. Uh, And then we started dealing with, you know, what does it mean to kind of grow a product organization at that speed and that scale? Um, so then, you know, we had to kind of figure out how to how to change the way that we worked and communicate differently and use different practices and, and all of that. Um, so it definitely got uh, pretty challenging for us pretty quickly. Um, and, and, and we're still kind of uh, dealing with that now. The scaling and the hyper growth has really kind of slowed down for us. And now we're kind of mm-hmm. trying to, you know, sit in the pocket a bit and figure out how to kind of solidify what we have and continue to improve. Great, great. Um, and can you tell me a bit about what were some of the, the main factors that contributed to founding Kessel Run and what led you to be one of the founding members? Yeah, sure. There was a, um, a, a bunch of things. I, I think it, it comes as no, uh, maybe no surprise to folks that the government is very bad at, at um, building and buying software traditionally. Um, for, for years and years, we got into this, this kind of cycle of uh, purchasing large IT systems from large defense contractors with, with uh, you know, 
a list of written requirements and a bucket of cash. And then we're hoping that, you know, in, in five, eight years time, we'd get back something that's valuable. Um, I think those of us in this community, in this space, understand why that doesn't work. Um, and I think it took the, the Air Force and the DOD a long time to, to learn that and to catch up. So I think at, at the point where Kessel Run was created, there was a lot of frustration with our lack of ability to deliver uh, to need uh, for our for our users, we, at that point, you know, we're talking three years ago. We've had people deployed around the world for the last fifteen years. Uh, all of them, you know, doing their job despite the software and tools given to them, having to build processes to work around the tools that should be making their lives better. Um, mm-hmm. And I just think there's a lot of uh, kind of pent up frustration. So I know that uh, with me, I, I was active duty for eight years, so kind of I knew this firsthand using some of these old legacy tools that that really didn't do the job that we needed to do. Um, and in the founders of Kessel Run, Brian Kroger, uh, former, uh, was active duty at the time uh, and was you know one of the kind of people who led this initiative, uh, a guy named Colonel Enrique Ot as well. And these are just people who kind of were kind of done with the status quo and really wanted to find a way to show that we can take all of the ways that industry has been working for a long time and there's no more excuses. We can do this within the DOD uh, and solve some of these challenges to get the outcomes we needed into our uh, kind of users' hands. Right, right. Um, and can you tell me about the the biggest things that shifted from you know the previous way of doing things uh, now that you guys have grown? Yeah, I think it's. I mean, just simply to the idea of continuous delivery was so foreign and far away uh, traditionally um, for a bunch of reasons. I mean, one of them was, uh, you know, the the way our normal kind of like waterfall process would work, it would be kind of the similar way you see at massive kind of enterprise organizations throughout the eighties and nineties, I think around, you know, a a lot of design up front, uh, a couple of years of development. And then we have this kind of a whole manual testing process. And then when all the software is done, um, and air quoting, we'd have to have, you know, an approval process from security folks to allow it to even get onto the classified systems as an example. So all of that just led to, you know, building up risk over time. Um, so the major difference with, with Kessel Run is that we were able to kind of take all of these bureaucratic hurdles and find like really creative ways to solve them continuously as part of the process and part of our uh, CI, CD um, kind of ways of working. So one of them we kind of heard about that in the talk with Lauren uh, this week was our continuous authority to operate. So instead of having a kind of stage gate at the end of development where somebody would you know look at your code and decide that it's secure to go into the system, they would accredit the process by which it's being created. So the way that we are scanning our software and the software you know engineering practices we're using in our pipelines and all of that. So that opened the door for us to have the, the technical and, and like policy-based ability to create in a lab and get it into our users' systems and hands uh, immediately in the same way that anybody else would who's, who's doing continuous delivery. Um, so that completely changed the way that we were talking and thinking about software and all of the kind of tentacles that come off that around the various kind of bureaucratic processes, if you think of our requirements processes and, and the way that we do testing, everything had to change around this new world of continuous delivery. And we're still in that world in a lot of ways. Um, so I think that was kind of the biggest change. It completely flipped the model on its head. Um, and uh, and now we're seeing that kind of idea and ecosystem grow throughout the Air Force and the DOD, which is really great to see. Right. 
Great. Um, and what are you seeing in the biggest focus points right now for further optimizing you know, how to develop software for the Air Force? Yeah, so I think uh, the the big push here now is moving to kind of a container native uh, platform that's built around uh, kind of modularity and, and, and the reliability that we need kind of going forward. Because we're, we're very aware that, you know, in uh, some point in the future, if we were to get into a war with a near peer adversary or, you know, your China or Russia, we need to be able to have software systems that can change and adapt at a moment's notice uh, with what we're learning on the battlefield. Um, so building out our, our platform um, to not only be able to do that from a technical perspective, but ensuring the amount of self-service required so that the kind of like flow management that we're trying to do now doesn't you know exacerbate when we are in wartime, as an example. We want our developers to be able to sell, you know solve their own problems and have all of the tools and services they need to... Um, adapt to changing environments. So I'd say that the main focus for us at Kessel Run um, is continuing to really improve our, our real DevOps processes and continuously try to get to a place of uh, self-service where our developers can do everything they need to do from uh, ideation through uh, through deployment and, and day two. Right. Um, and how do you find running you know, Kessel Run's platform organization since it covers you know, developer services for over 60 product teams? Yeah, it's been, so it's actually fairly new to me. Um, I am a product guy by trade. So I've been a product leader leading application development at Kessel Run for uh, the past you know three or four years or so uh, in various roles. And um, moving over to the platform was not something that uh, I, I thought I would be interested in, quite honestly. It seemed very foreign to me as a product person. Um, and then once I uh, kind of came over and took on this role, it's the same thing. Uh, the, the, all the things that work as a product leader work uh, in leading a platform. Um, and I think, you know, we're starting to see a push in the industry of bringing more product management onto platform teams. Um, and, I, and I can see why. I think just kind of taking the product mindset that I had previously and the idea of kind of customer centricity and um, measuring our value streams to, to understand how we are kind of delivering actual user and customer outcomes has been like a major shift that our team is undertaking right now and has like really adapted to really well. Um, so uh, I think the major change has been, you know, the, the goal of, you know, being an engineer on a platform, the goal is not to you know, take your, your ticket or your story and complete it and feel good about it and go to the next thing. The goal is to actually solve the user problem. And I think that takes a mentality shift and a culture shift. And I think we're right in the middle of that. Uh, but it's been really, really exciting uh, to work on, a, on a, a, a platform like ours where we can see like the, the, you know, the flow and the work stream is visible to you. You can actually see how the work moves from one side to the other, find the places where there's queuing and, and, and things that are, are keeping us from being more productive. So in that sense, it's like, um, the, the work is very obvious, which is kind of cool. So we can um, do some cool things there. But uh, yeah, so it's been really exciting. It's been a major shift for me and, and for the organization. Great. Um, yeah, and I saw that a, a big point uh, of Kessel Run was to bring a user-centered approach to DevOps. Uh, can you tell me a bit about what that entails? Yeah, certainly. So um, again, traditionally, we never really talk to our users in the way that we build software in the DoD before. 
Um, we certainly had ways of deriving requirements. So that would look more like uh, there would be kind of a team of people who are more like subject matter experts or kind of represent the business, if you will, in, in kind of industry parlance. And they would have their kind of ways of like, you know, on an annual basis, deriving requirements from users and compiling them and prioritizing them and basically being proxies for users to those IT organizations or companies. And uh, not only does that not work because of the time that happens between a user giving you their need and, you know, when the cycle of time of getting back, you know, is in, you know, years and years. And, and by the time the, the solution's there, it's not even the solution anymore. Or it's the solution to the wrong problem. Um, but it's also just lacks a real empathy for how users interact with, um, with software. I think a lot of times we, you know, when you have this kind of requirements-based or waterfall-based approach to, to software, and you see it a lot, like all the DOD UIs look exactly the same. It's the kind of same kind of uh, uh, look and feel. And it's like, how can I fit all this stuff on the screen so I can check this box and go on to the next thing? Um, and it really lacked uh, a care and empathy on how people interact with software in a, in a meaningful way. So we wanted to flip that by, you know, like, building things that that we would use and 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 or be used to. I remember when I was uh, active duty, um, and, and I mentioned this in the talk as well, but I, when I was active duty, I can just like distinctly remember like I'd be walking into work and on my phone scrolling Twitter and like just doing all the things that we do on our phones nowadays. And when you get to put your phone away to walk into the classified area, when you walked in, you were just transported into, you know, into the seventies and nothing worked anymore. It's hard to send an email. None of the printers worked. It's just a very strange thing that we became accustomed to and okay with in the DOD that like we don't feel like we have to give our folks the tools that anybody else in any other industry would expect uh, when they go to work. Um, so I, I think it's it's been a kind of a complete shift in us thinking about our users first. And then from a problem perspective, like we need to make sure that we actually understand um, what our users need. We have this unique problem that, you know, as we prepare for this like war of the future that we obviously hope never comes, we don't really um, like our, our users have never experienced that. Right. So like in, in a, it's probably a difference in working with like a commercial company or commercial tool where, you know, we are all those also consumers. So if you're building something that you would use in normal day to day life, you have some experience there. Our, our users are unique in that, like we're building mission software. It's very specific, very custom. Um, we're building for like this war scenario that's never actually happened, right? Like a war with China or Russia, which we haven't experienced before, especially not in a technological age. So we're kind of like uh, trying to build a system for this, um, you know, synthetic user of the future, if you will. So the closest we can get to getting there is really understanding how our users in that moment would think and think about the software they're interacting with and respond to it. Um, so if we can understand our users better, we can ensure that as we start to prepare for this kind of, you know, future state, um, we have a better idea of how users will react in, in those situations. So I think it's generally about empathy and us building um, more of a muscle around really understanding what our users actually need and, and what they'd use our kind of systems for in this kind of, um, you know, crazy scenario that we hope we never actually arrive at. Right, right. Great. So it looks like we're getting towards the end of our time for the podcast. Adam, is there anything else you'd like to add regarding uh, Agile and DevOps and how it pertains to DOD? 
No, I think um, I, I appreciate you having me on. I, I think that there's some really exciting things happening in the Air Force and in the DOD right now. Um, I think for a while we were kind of dabbling on, on the outsides and, and, and uh, looking in and hoping to be a part of the club. And I think now that work's actually happening. There's some really cool things uh, going on with some really impactful missions. So uh, if you know anybody listening is looking for a way to make a real global impact and, and do some work in technology, um, that can happen with public service now. So take a look at uh, any opportunities within the government to kind of uh, move things forward. But I appreciate you having me. Right. Yeah, and thank you for coming on the show. It was great speaking to you. Great, thanks. Yeah. And thanks to all of you who listened to today's episode of What the DevOps. Stay tuned for new episodes every week.